Hello, my friends. Let's let the music play for a minute there. How's everybody doing? It's Friday, July 19th, 2019, and welcome to a new edition of the FritzCast. Last week, last week you might be saying, wait a minute, why wasn't there an episode last week? Yeah, you might be thinking that. Uh, if you if you caught it on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Picarto, Picarto, I don't know how you pronounce that one, Periscope. Twitch, uh, and a, a host of others, I was invited on Call Me Ignorant by my friend Stephen Ignoramus. Great guy. If you've never heard of Stephen Ignoramus or checked out any of his stuff, he interviewed me last week. That That's what, uh, and so instead of doing the podcast, I sat down with, uh, with Stephen for about an hour worth of time and we did it, uh, we did it on webcam. We did it live. We'll do it live. Okay. Well, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can. I'll write it, and we'll do it live. Whoa, that escalated quickly. Yeah, it was the. Uh, it was the first time I ever did anything live, for real. And it was my first interview too. So, before we even got started, I was a little nerve wracked. I was like, I agreed. To, me and him, we we conversed. We talked a little bit on on Twitter. We DM'd each other. Sounds really dirty. Why do we do this to ourselves? This is our own freaking lingo. Yeah, we exchanged direct messages for a little bit on, on Twitter and set something up. And uh, right before it happened, I, I got home from work that morning. I, did I? From that morning? No. I didn't work that morning. I don't even know. My days have blended together. Yet again. I took a nap before. I, I at least took a nap before it happened. I took a nap. So I took a nap and uh, I woke up. And it was at that time it was like 1 o'clock or one thirty, And I was like, you know, I was a little jittery. I was like, all right, we're going to go on. We're going to do this thing. And it's going to be live. And he's going to interview me. I don't know what questions he's going to ask me. You know, what if this is a gotcha thing? Uh, crap. Well, you know what? We'll just do it. Uh, Steven is a great guy, though. Uh, he does a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean he does a lot. Just before his interview with me, which was live-streamed, he did a live-stream on immigration. And uh, he does live-streams every day. That, that dude covers news. He covers... Uh, he's a music teacher, for real. He, he does that streaming. He has this whole Discord app. He's got a, he's got a ton of stuff. So uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter, if you're the Twitter type... Which, who is nowadays anyway? That, that place is becoming a, a massive hole of censorship and, and other things. Um, he is at Ignoramus Steve. If you don't know how to spell Ignoramus, you are one. Ignoramus Steve on Twitter. Interviewer, amateur, comedian-ish. Nah, I'm going to say you're a comedian, dude. You're not comedian-ish. Pro musician and teacher, talks, reads, moves, questions, learns, looks, thinks, does, streams a lot, call a show with Discord. Do it. He's also got YouTube.com slash Stephen Ignoramus. You can actually watch our interview there. It's on there. It is on the YouTubes. 
and it's on Periscope, and it's on a host of other platforms. You can check it out. That that counts as last week's episode. Does <laughs> that me being lazy? Probably. Uh, do I care? Eh. Mildly. Not really. I wasn't going to load my day up with, with all that jazz. Uh, n- n- unlike Stephen Ingramus, uh, you know, that guy can do it live. He probably sits there and he's like, you know, um, I can, uh, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, I can, I can put it in between my live stream in the morning and my live stream in the afternoon. It can be a, it can be like a brunch stream. We can do it. And in case you, uh, in case you missed it, a new, a, a new Fritzcast database blog entry went up. That also went out on my Twitter and my Facebook. Maybe if you just paid attention more, you would get these things more. Maybe. I'm not gonna put it. I'm not gonna pin it all on you, though. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say you failed. You didn't fail. All right. You just. You know. You got busy. I know. Life gets busy. Stuff gets in the way. You wanted to go to the beach. It was really hot. It's fine. It's cool. Friscastdatabase.wordpress.com. You can read the latest one. That entry was about uh, how my wife came to choose wanting to do natural birth. And uh, some of the materials that she showed me to give perspective into her decision. Because here's the thing, dudes. When you, if you ever get to this point in your life with your girlfriend, your, your wife, your significant other, and even, even, you, um, even you lady types that uh, have lady type significant others who you guys decide to get pregnant or whatever. Uh, just some perspective. Whoever is carrying the baby and whoever is going to be, you know, going through the birthing process with the baby, that's their choice. That's their decision. Um, you could think, you can think, wow, she's crazy as crap for wanting to do this whole natural route thing. And it doesn't matter because you're not the one carrying for nine months and doing the pushing. Does not matter. Um, that being said, though, everything that my wife showed me convinced me that she was absolutely right. Uh, and uh, th- that that came from the documentaries such as The Nine Months That Made You and uh, The Business of Being Born. And, uh, you know, it's not to... The, the thing that I love about, like, we, we go at a birth center. We've been having classes at a birth center, all the checkups, appointments uh, with the midwives. You know, it's all at this birth center, which is a natural birthing place. And the thing is, is that none of them judge you. None of them are pushing an agenda. This isn't like some hyper-focused thing where they say, you could only go natural. It's, it's only natural to want to go natural. Like... You know, just the the class that we had last night was all about the what if we have to transfer you to the hospital because something something's not going right. You know, what if we have to transfer you to the hospital? Does that mean that you're going to be depressed and the birth isn't going to go exactly the way that you want and it's going to be a horrible experience? No, not at all. And uh, the nurse there who works at the birth center and used to work in the labor department at the hospital, the delivery, um, the birthing area of the hospital. I'm not going to say words right, all right? This nurse specialized in birthing people. 
Okay? Okay? So, uh, she's now birth center exclusive uh, because she wants to help out those mothers and all that. She says, you know, she says, hey, if, if we're halfway through this and the pain is so terrible and we can get you to the hospital because you want an epidural because you just cannot stomach the pain anymore or whatever, she goes, that's your choice. We can go to the hospital. It's not wrong to go get an epidural. It's about you being comfortable and getting through this process how you want, as comfortable as possible. And that's the great thing about this stuff. You watch The Business of Being Born. It talks about the aspects that, that are probably absolutely true. And I tend to find this in a lot of people anyway. A lot of people just, you know, like, their doctor will tell them something, and they'll just go with it. They won't even question it. They won't ask about it. And some of it is because there's a business aspect to it. Like, the, the, the birthing of the babies, there's there's probably a fair share of doctors that are all like, all right, well, we're going to induce this day because we want to speed this process up, and if this isn't going right, then we'll do a C-section and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And some people probably just go with it. Some people probably don't think, like, I'm going to question the doctor. The doctor knows best. Eh, pump the brakes. Red flag. Um... That's what the business of being born suggests. It suggests that some areas, some hospitals, some doctors, they're so business-oriented on this stuff of schedule, 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 when there's like this whole natural, like women's bodies, believe it or not, are actually built and equipped to, you know, go through labor. Weird. Weird that this phenomenon has occurred and has been going on since the dawn of time. It's really, really weird. And that's all it's saying, is that women are capable of doing it. You don't necessarily need medical intervention. It doesn't have to be this strictly adhered to flow that everybody goes through. And you can go and have a natural birth. You can go and have a water birth. You can you can go to the hospital and get an epidural. You could run into complications and have to get a C-section. You know? There is heftas. So it's been really interesting and eye-opening. It's not a, you know, it's not, and the blog entry that I wrote, it's not a huge blog entry, but it's I think it's detailed enough, and some people, some of my old high school friends have been commenting on it, uh, who either went through the similar route or, or are in position right now and getting ready to go through a similar route. So, it, you know, it's interesting. It sparks up a dialogue. It gets people talking. That's why I started Database, because uh, me as a guy, obviously my wife has her own perspective. She's carrying and developing our child. What am I doing? I'm giving her massages and trying to make her comfortable because... Life at times during pregnancy can get miserable. So sometimes that means, you know, oh, she feels like crap and you're going to run out to the store and you're going to buy Tums. Or you're going to go buy chocolate milk. Or you're just going to go out and buy her flowers because, God damn it, she needs some flowers. That is what, you, that's what you do as the husband. It becomes less about what I think I feel and what I think I need. My, my you know, Sometimes, guys, you take those things and they go to the wayside a little bit because 
face it, I, I might go to work and bust my hump. I might work, you know, a 16-hour shift and be tired and exhausted. But in doing so, I'm not carrying, you know, a 5-pound, a 6-pound, What you know, I'm not carrying a baby in my stomach that you, it doesn't detach. It stays there. It stays there until you birth it. It's really opened up my perspective in life that, you know, eh, maybe I should bitch about all this stupid little shit because I'm not dealing with it. I mean, seriously, it just it opens up perspective a little bit, you know. And uh, so that was the like that was the birthing class last night. It was the what it was the what ifs. What if all this goes wrong? What if we have to go to the hospital? And they have to tell you that stuff because in the course of your birth, if something pops up and medical intervention is needed, it's not something that you can really sit and debate about for too long. They did reiterate. They did push the, the whole thing. Like if you go to the hospital, it doesn't mean that the hospital gets what they want. There's still options and there's still dialogue and there's still talk. As long as everything's okay, you know, there's a difference between, you know, they do a, an ultrasound or, or a scan and they're like, oh, baby's got to come out now. We got to put you under general anesthesia, cut you open and get it out. And that is like a this is this is happening now. Cool. Cool. But that's also rare. Most everything else you can discuss. Hey, what, what are we doing this for? Why are we doing this? Is this safe? Is this necessary? They reiterated and stressed that, and they, they, they still hang with you even if they send you to the hospital, which is great, which is great. It, it sucks to go through that, though, and because they make you go through that just so that you go over it now and not in labor when processing all that information would be ten times worse, just at the end of it, they actually bring in a mother who had their baby at the birth center and gives their experience and perspective, and they also bring their baby, so there was a chubby little chunky cheek baby there to make you go oh oh it's kind of cute uh, that's what we're gonna have in a little bit and so they came in and they reassured you know hey y- you can come to the birth center and you might run into some snags you might run into some problems but you'll still be here and you won't have to go to the hospital and then boom you know you'll, you'll birth the baby and it'll be great and then after six hours you'll go home isn't that awesome that's you know yeah it's awesome so last time I actually had you guys gathered thanks for gathering here today to listen to this podcast. Last I had you guys, it was July 5th. That was the Mock a Politician episode of the podcast, which was a highly acclaimed, highly uh, high feedback episode. You guys really seem to enjoy it, and I appreciate you for reaching out. My brother Punk even reached out, and uh, he said, he told me that he played it for some buddies. Uh, actually, let me pull up the, uh, my phone's been jacked up, by the way. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I have his text message here, somewhere here. Where is it? Where is it? Captain. Oh yeah, he's Captain America in my phone right now. That's right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, I sent it to a few people. They loved it. Oh no, that's the meme that I sent him. Uh, I don't have the original message. He said he played it for some people and they liked it, and that there was more demand for Bernie Sanders on the program, and. Uh, and uh, S- Stephen Ignoramus actually said something about uh, the Bernie impression. He said something about you do a great Bernie impression. I don't know what he was talking about. I, Stephen, I've had Bernie Sanders on the show before. It's it's just that you know that they're calling my bluff that that uh, you know this because I've had him in studio like. 
but it, like you know, vacation and records and and travel logs haven't shown him stopping in Delaware at all. But he's been—I mean, he's been here. He's been in this very office, Stephen. That wasn't me doing his voice. So, but but Stephen was uh, well. He was complimenting my Bernie Sanders impression, but I don't I like. I, I think I did it a little bit on that Call Me Ignorant episode uh, of my impression of him. My, my impression of him is pretty good, but, uh, you know, again, I've had him on the program several times. So, uh, and, I you know, I thought about, I thought about, you know, maybe just to qualify that, like maybe I'd have him call in and we could do some stuff over the phone. I mean, he's a busy guy. He's running for president of the United States again uh, in a Democratic field of 19 well, 18 other candidates now because um, our buddy Eric Swalwell dropped out of the race because he's insignificant. Um, he's not relevant. And somebody on Twitter tried to argue about how I'm not relevant because nobody listens to this podcast. And he tried to dunk on me, and it didn't take. Then he ended up blocking me because he's a baby. So there's that. You know, Fritz, I would tend to agree with the perspective that you just gave because that person did try to mock you, and I do not believe that the way to convince you that you're wrong is by mocking you. Holy crap. Well, I'm glad that this is actually working. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. Bernie Sanders again. Bernie, thanks for being here, man. I know it's a, I know you must be incredibly busy on the uh, campaign trail with uh, 18 other candidates out there, including yourself. I'm glad that you would take the time to come on this program out of all the programs that you could choose from. Yeah, well, uh, it is very busy, and you are correct. Uh, you know, our buddy Eric Swalwell, he had to drop out. Um, and and honestly, honest to God, it's because the top or the bottom, the bottom tenth of one percent wasn't even voting for him. Uh, because uh, I I hate to say it, I know I said that he he was a great guy and all that, but uh, he is at this point he is Mister Irrelevant. Um. Because he was polling at a whopping zero percent, uh, so he—I mean—he was just—he was—he was just flooding this field of a lot of candidates. He was crowding the stage, and then he was doing—he was doing crazy things. He was calling us the Avengers, and I mean, it's—I it, mean, it, it don't 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 get me wrong. It is very cool to be likened to the Avengers. I, you know, if I had to liken myself to one. I would, uh, I would probably say that uh, I'm the Hulk uh, because uh, Bruce Banner uh, is the smartest one of them. A lot of people like to say it's Tony Stark. It's not Tony Stark, all right. And for all intents and purposes, he's dead now. Yup. But spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Well, I guess no, not. No, that, no, it's not a spoiler. That movie's been out for quite some time now, and people know that he's dead. I mean, the new Spider-Man movie is out. So people know that that uh, that uh, you know, Tony Stark is dead. Alright, Iron Man is no more. Alright, we don't have a billionaire class over the Avengers anymore. Uh, And, uh, you know, honestly, honestly, between you and me, it's probably better that way. Tony was the top tenth of 1%. He didn't want to pay taxes. All right, he just wanted to make Iron Man suits and try to defend the world, which, I mean, is noble. It's very noble, but he didn't want to give me half his paycheck. I'd be thinking that you didn't like Tony Stark because of the whole Stark industry, like, weapons thing. Uh, that is that is true. 
uh, stock industries did initially help this endless foreign war. Um, but you're also forgetting that this is fictional. So, I mean, he doesn't even really exist. All right. Well, uh, what is your take on um, Eric Swalwell dropped out? And it seems like uh, while you cared about him uh, for his uh, for uh, I'm trying to think of the word. His gumption. His, his, I mean, I mean, he was ballsy. You know, how many how many candidates can say that the government has nuclear weapons to try to make a point that this government can accomplish what it wants to do. I'd be thinking that, uh, I, personally, I would think that you guys would want to lessen government power, considering that he made that threat and considering who's in the office right now. I, I figured you guys would actually be more on my side for a, a limited government approach rather than an expanding government involvement. I, I honestly, I don't know why... I don't know why you guys don't get it. Um, the, the problem isn't the power that the government has. The problem is the people that you that that uh, that people are electing. You know, if we just elect better people, if we just elect more people like me, who want Medicare for all and want tuition-free college, if you just voted for more people like us, this would never happen again. Well, we're going to have to uh, agree to disagree. A- any commentary on any of the other candidates? Uh, I don't have any uh, additional comment. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, we will, we'll, we're getting ready for another debate. And uh, because of this crazy world that we live in, uh, Marianne Williamson is actually going to be in that debate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, well, yeah, I believe you said of Marianne Williamson that she was um, batshit. Batshit crazy. I mean, I mean, who can get up on a stage in the middle of a debate, well, at t- towards the end of a debate, who can be on a stage and then go into a tirade about how, you know, about how we haven't talked enough about Donald Trump when that was the sole focus of the debate, was bringing up and criticizing Donald Trump the entire time. And how, I mean, who, who I mean, and then you get up and then you say, you say uh, that he's harnessed fear for political purposes and that you're going to harness love. I yeah. mean, who? I mean, yeah. who would have who would have even thought to say I mean, that? I, absolutely, I think you're. I think you're right. It was a little crazy that she said that whole thing. And then there's something about the way she talks. Like it, people keep likening it to those AMSR videos yes. on on, yes. on um, YouTube. There's something about the way she talks. Uh, if I wanted to go to sleep, I would probably just look up a Marianne Williamson speech uh, or or video. Uh, anything really where she would just be talking and i'm i'm sure it would lull me into a very deep deep sleep probably better than having to go and buy over the counter medications which should be provided to you free through medicare for all wow you're really not going to let up on the medicare for all thing are you you bet your ass i'm not all right, that's all the time we have for you, Bernie. Uh, we hope to see you again sometime yes. soon. Yep, uh, yep. As as um, Andrea Bocelli sang, it's time to say uh, goodbye. But I'll try to check in on the campaign trail as much as I can um, and try to give you some perspective on these candidates, especially 
if Marianne Williamson continues to advance, which I, 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 I don't see happening. Uh, but as she said, love will win. Goodbye. Well, this, uh, so if that doesn't convince you, Stephen, that that was actually Bernie Sanders on the phone with me, I mean, I don't know what will. Okay. Uh, but he, he'll be checking in periodically, as you heard, and I look forward to hearing from more from Bernie Sanders. Uh, during the course of this election cycle, we were, we were lucky enough to have him in, in 2015 and 2016 to stop in. And uh, so I, I, that's great. That's great. I really like that. Um, over the past over the past week, we've had a lot of different topics happen, a lot of different uh, a lot of different things go down. And uh, but before I talk about that, I said my phone was f- screwed up. Should I save that for the end? We'll, sa- we'll we'll save it for the end. Let's talk about the politics stuff, phone stuff later. First, I want to start with the criticisms against uh, Justin Amash, Rand Paul, and I, I believe Mike Lee is in this mix too. Um. The House passed the the bill for funding the VCF, the uh, 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. Uh, That passed in the House. It went to the Senate floor. It's now stalled because of Rand Paul and um, Mike Lee is in that mix of criticisms. And then Justin Amash voted against it on the House floor. And a lot of people are asking, why? Why would you vote against this? Why would you do this? against the 9-11 Victims Fund, what the hell is wrong with you? And it's very easy to, just at a glance, see the headline, Rand Paul blocks, or Rand Paul stalls, 9-11 VCF vote. And it's very easy just to take that headline and go, wow, what a piece of shit. Look at this dude talking about how we have to never forget 9-11 and never forget those responders, and here he is forgetting about them because he's not pushing through the legislation to get them the help that they need. Same thing with Justin Amash, same thing with Mike Lee, same thing for literally anybody that would stand up and say, and, and put, a, put a block or a stall on the vote. So, just some perspective. Uh, first and foremost, me personally, uh, I want, that's a government expenditure that I absolutely agree with. Uh but a lot of people don't I don't think a lot of people know the nuances of the VCF or the history of the VCF or or any or things of that nature when it comes to that bill and that legislation. The VCF isn't just it's not like it's not a bill that just says, "Hey, 9/11 happened. You know, what a shame. We need to help these people, so let's get them money and medical care and all that stuff." Like a lot of people think it's encompassed into what the VCF is. Um, I'm trying to think of a, trying to think of a great way to break it down for you. So the VCF itself, the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund, (coughs) it was created by an act of Congress, the Air and Transportation Safety and System Stabilization Act. That's, uh, 49 U.S. Code 40101. Uh, shortly after 9-11, to compensate the victims of the attack, or their families in exchange for their agreement not to sue the airline corporations involved. Kenneth Feinberg was appointed 
by Attorney General John Ashcroft to be the special master of the fund. He worked for 33 months pro bono. All right. He developed the regulations governing the administration of the fund and administered all aspects of the program. Legislation authorizes the fund to disperse a maximum of $7.375 billion, including operational administrative costs of the U.S. government funds. Feinberg was responsible for making the decisions on how much each family of a victim would receive. Feinberg had to estimate how much each victim would have earned in a full lifetime if a family accepted the offer. It was not possible to appeal. Families unhappy with the offer were able to appeal in a non-adversarial, informal hearing to present their case however they wanted. Feinberg personally presided over more than 900 of the 1,600 hearings. At the end of the process, $7 billion was awarded to 97% of the families. A non-negotiable clause in the acceptance papers for the settlements was that the families were to never file a lawsuit against the airlines for any lack of security or otherwise unsafe procedures. In February 2019, the fund indicated that there was insufficient funding to pay current and projected claims at the levels paid before and that future awards would be reduced. A stumbling block to settlements was the fact that many of the World Trade Center victims were highly compensated financial professionals. Families of those victims felt the compensation offers were too low and had a court considered their case on an individual basis, they would have been awarded much higher amounts. This concern had to be balanced against the time, complications, and risks of pursuing an individual case and the real possibility that the airlines and their insurers could be bankrupted before being able to pay the claim. Mind you, this is separate from the similarly, the similarly named September 11th Fund and from the World Trade Center Captive Insurance Company. Now, Rand Paul's reasoning uh, for, for opposing the bill was uh, Christian Gildebrand attempted to pass the bill by unanimous consent. All right, I'm reading this from a, a Reason Magazine article by um, Christian Britschie. Your name is too complicated to say, but whatever. Um, she attempted to uh, pass the bill by unanimous consent, an expedited process that does not require each senator to record his or her vote. Paul stood up and said, Any new spending that we are approaching, any new program that is going to have a longevity of 70, 80 years, should be offset by cutting spending that's less valuable. We need to, at the very least, have this debate. I will be offering up an amendment if this bill should come to the floor. But until then, I will object. And Mike Lee also objected. So the bill in question is uh, H.R. 1327, Never Forget the Heroes, James Zadgroda, Ray Pfeiffer, and Luis Alvarez, Permanent Authorization of the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund Act. That is the bill that is in question on the floor right now. Uh, Reading again from the Reason article, quote, The bill, H.R. 1327, would extend the life of the Victims' Compensation Fund to 2090. The fund is currently set to stop accepting claims by the end of the next year. It would also do away with any limited appropriations for the fund, instead paying out however much is necessary to cover eligible claims through 2092. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that the bill would cost $10.2 billion over the next decade. The first 9-11 Victims' Compensation Fund operated from 2001 to 2003. 
okay, 2001 to 2003, and awarded $7 billion to the families of the 2,880 people killed in the attacks on that day, plus another 2,680 people who were injured. In 2011, the fund was renewed and expanded to cover anyone injured during the rescue and recovery efforts at the targeted World Trade Center, as well as those in proximity to the attacks who were injured or came down with other health problems, including cancer. Since 2011, the fund has since given out $5.2 billion to nearly 29,000 claimants. Despite Paul's objections, the permanent extension of the Victims Fund will almost certainly pass. The Senate's reauthorization measure currently has a 73 currently has 73 co-sponsors, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he will put it to a vote before the August recess. On Fox News, former Daily Show host and 9-11 first responder champion John Stewart accused Paul of fiscal responsibility virtue signaling, saying the Kentucky Senator's current concerns about the deficit were hypocritical in light of his support for 2017's tax cuts. Stewart was not alone in this line of criticism with, um, with... Ariana Huffington and Robert Reich um, coming in. Justin Amash made the same point last week when he explained why he voted against the Victims Fund in a tweet saying, quote, one of the main reasons government is not accountable is that politicians and media oversimplify discussions about our legislation. A good example is the 9-11 VCF bill. Everyone agrees government should help compensate victims of the attack, but implementing details are ignored. Our Constitution empowers Congress to appropriate money. Typically, this means we must vote annually to spend on a particular object. This process holds government accountable to the people. The 9-11 VCF works differently by authorizing 70-plus years of unlimited automatic spending. And while this is true that Paul voted for a deficit-increasing tax cut, he has also consistently introduced legislation to cut spending across the board. Just last month, Senate rejected a budget plan authored by Paul that would have cut federal spending by $183 billion in the coming fiscal year. Libertarian-leaning folks like Paul want less spending, lower taxes, and smaller deficits. The senator has a record of supporting all three policies, even though the rest of Congress only seems to be able to muster support for one. That being said with this stuff, I hate the fact that our government is so red-taped and bureaucratic that Things like the VCF, which should be passed unanimously, mind you, should be passed with a unanimous vote uh, and have unanimous support of, of all of our legislatures, because I'm pretty sure all of us are okay with that. I'm sure there's most, I'm sure most everybody's okay with it, and there's probably a lot more that demand it. The question on its funding. Some people might be criticizing Paul and Amash and, and Lee and saying that they're grandstanding on this, which, you know, I personally, I wouldn't have picked this bill to, to pick this fight at. I would have picked it at, an, at another bill. I would have passed this bill. You pass this bill, and, and for the next 70 to 80 years, the VCF is, is fine on the government end. But you do... Absolutely, they have a point. You do have to make cuts to other programs at, the, at that juncture. At that point, you do have to start looking at things and saying, you know what? We set, we we voted and we passed on money for the VCF, for the 9-11 VCF, because we agreed that that money was important to get out, and that money was important to spend and free up. That means that other programs 
or other government expenses need to be cut elsewhere to compensate for that. That's their argument. I think that's a valid argument because all too often people just think that the government can bang the gavel and print free money and everything will be okay and that's not going to destabilize the economy or anything. It's not going to destabilize the government or anything. Truth be told, the nation is in $23 trillion of debt. In fact, on uh, usdebtclock.org, $22 trillion, $511 billion, $859 million and growing. Debt per citizen is $68,000. $68,358. That's per citizen. If we just go per taxpayer, it's $183,000. And that seems to not be going down at all. And there is that that debate that everybody kind of wants to just, you know, push into the corner like it doesn't matter. Like, uh, it doesn't matter because everything will be okay. And... I think people have it. There are people out there, by the way, who who will say, well, there won't be no VCF when there ain't no U.S. government anymore because it's going to collapse. That might be... That might be... Apocalyptic talk. But the debt grows and the spending's never offset. It's never offset. They passed the VCF, which will guarantee money for... 80 years, 80 or 90 years. And then the next thing that comes up, Rand Paul will stand up, Justin Amash will stand up, Mike Lee will stand up, and they'll say, hey, we passed the VCF. We guaranteed that money. Now to pony up the dough for it, we got to cut another program. And the Democrats will say, look, the Republicans are only concerned about cutting, 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 cutting. Well, at some point, that does have to come into play. Do I like the fact that they had that they did it over the VCF bill? I I kind of don't like it. I'd rather that that just be handled and taken care of. But on the same flip side token, will it actually be taken care of, or will that whole debt thing just be kicked down the road again? Because most people aren't concerned about it because they'll be dead by the time that that debate comes into play. I don't know. I don't know, but that is that's the whole the whole thing is is very deep in emotional reactions. Rightfully so. I'd rather uh, they did just have um one of those one of those heroes from 9/11 pass away who who literally was just at the hearings with John Stewart. So, time is of the essence for those people. And I can thoroughly be behind getting that passed, and it's going to pass anyway. It's, it's guaranteed to pass, even with the objections in place. But there's that angle. Now, the, now the other big thing that happened that, that we're having a debate over, and I can't believe we're having a debate over this, is Donald Trump Twitter rants 
racism and what is and what isn't racism. Of course, Donald Trump goes on and attacks Elon Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and there was two other female representatives in there. I get, I'm, their names escape me for right now. So that, of course, means let me pull up Google real quick. Hold on. Now, the squad is uh, Elon Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or as we will just refer to her, AOC. Um, th- this has been an ongoing squabble. All right, The squad isn't beloved by the entire Democratic Party. We should say that. Um, th- Donald Trump's recent movements have united a, a Democratic Party, at least on the front of being against Donald Trump, even though there's still plenty of Democrats that criticize the squad. All right, The squad and Nancy, and Nancy Pelosi butt heads all the time. They do not see eye to eye at all. Well, maybe not at all, but they butt heads a lot. All right. Um, Donald Trump, in a series of tweets, said some things that, uh, well, were, were more or less terrible. <laughs> against the squad. More or less, they, they ended up being, uh, I don't know where these people came from, they should go back to where they came from and fix their messed up countries. Well, like, all of them are naturalized U.S. citizens, number one. <laughs> and number two, oh my God, it was racist. Um, everybody's saying that, uh, that this, is, this is the baffling thing, and this is why I'm not affiliated with either political party at this point. Uh, because I have criticisms against the squad, absolutely. Individually, absolutely on different things, yes, I have criticism against the squad. So does uh, so do many moderate to center to, to center Democrats, um, because they are they're a rather bombastic, uh, feisty bunch. Uh, they 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 butt heads with Nancy Pelosi all the time. Uh, AOC, for example, is a Green New Dealer bust kind of person. A lot of them probably are only going to be one term, uh, if I had to guess. They're probably only going to be one terms uh, because of their 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 whole outlook, their the, the way that they poll in popularity and all that. Like People might like them, but there's a lot of controversy surrounding them. That notwithstanding, um, you know, I don't know how the GOP people defend Trump anymore over this stuff. Uh, in front of a huge rally, he had a huge rallying cry of people chanting, send her back, send her back, send her back, which is the worst look ever, all right? It's it's miles above lock her up, and, and a lot of people didn't like the whole lock her up business either, but Hillary Clinton is a terrible person, so I don't I don't care on that front. She's done a lot of wrong things. She's done a lot of bad things. Bill Clinton has been involved in a lot of bad things. Politicians get involved in a lot of bad things. There's not many politicians to revere, okay? Whether it's Donald Trump or AOC or anything, there's not a lot of politicians to revere. There's not. That uh, th- This has been boiling over to the point that I wonder if this is... If the Democrats get united on that front. Um, I don't know how far that goes, though. They did just bring impeachment articles to the to the floor of the House. Um, 
yesterday or the day before. I can't remember which, but my tweet sums that up beautifully. Uh, the motion to table House Resolution 498, which was uh, tabling the debate on impeachment articles for Donald Trump. Uh, you had 137 Democrats vote yay to table it. 194 Republicans yay to table it. One independent yay to table it. It's 332 yays to table it and not have that discussion. Nays, there was only 95 Democrats. Most of them said, all right, no, we're not going to talk about that. Which shows how big, how big a facade the let's impeach him movement is. They're not looking to impeach him. They bring it up, they talk about it, but they don't do it. Why? Because it's more beneficial to them to try to win it in the election. And guess what? It'll be even more beneficial to them if they lose this next election because they can double down for over the next four years. And this becomes the pendulum swinging back and forth yet again. Like It, it just goes more extreme towards the right and then more extreme towards the left and then more extreme back towards the right. It keeps on going. And by the way, when it comes to talking about a waste of time and resources too, granted, I can understand your frustrations against Rand Paul for standing up and saying, I want to pass this bill, but we have to talk about what cuts we're going to make in order to ensure it's funding. You can be mad at him for that all you want. That's fine. Please tell me you were mad that the House wasted time having a vote condemning Donald Trump's tweets. That's all I want. That was a big waste of time. We all know that he's a shitty person. Do we really have to waste time and resources having a debate on the floor of the House that his tweets were bad and condemning his tweets, which, which was just theater anyway? Do we really need to waste time and energy on that on government business. That's all I'm calling for. That's all I'm calling for. Hey, pass the VCF. Realize that things are going to have to be cut in order to fund that. Money doesn't grow on trees. The Treasury just can't print out more money, and the government just can't make more money up here. Mind you, this is all on the House just passed uh, $15 minimum wage, which is going to be going up to the Senate now. So now we're talking about the government mandating businesses paying people more money. How's that going to affect small business? Only time will tell. So all that being said, guys, thanks for listening this week. That was this week's edition of the FritzCast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I enlightened you. I hope I enroused. What is that? I hope I uh, generated some discussion within you. You know, some of my opinions might be wrong. I don't know. Uh, they're just my opinions. They're just how I see things, all right? This is just me spouting off behind a microphone, all right? Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FritzQS, Facebook.com slash the FritzCast, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com if you need to reach me, FritzCastDatabase.wordpress.com for my dad blog. Dad blog. And then follow my friend Stephen Ignoramus at Ignoramus Steve. On Twitter. And remember, even if I vehemently disagree with you and your political philosophy and what would be best for this nation, I still 
love you, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>